Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. There isn't a moment in the day in which Jesus Christ isn't for you. If that's good news, say amen. Amen. And there isn't a second of the day in which Jesus' life, death, and resurrection hasn't claimed. He has secured us victory, and he offers this radical new life to all who will place their trust in him. You see, we are not declaring independence from a tyrant. God, through Jesus Christ, is offering us freedom. And you and I find freedom in embracing God's reign and rule over our lives And we also are going to trust that his reign and rule over our lives is good and wise. But God's reign and rule is considered oppressive by many today. And it's not considered the way of joy and happiness to many people today. And this isn't anything new. In order to understand this, we need to go back to the beginning. And we look at uh, uh, in the garden in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve lived under the reign and rule of God. And it was not oppressive, nor did God demonstrate in that account that he was some tyrant ruler. We see there that God formed Adam, and he breathed life into him, and he placed him in this beautiful garden of Eden to keep it and to work it. And God, instead of naming the animals himself, he gave that authority to Adam. And he said, Adam, you name the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. I'm giving you dominion over my creation. And we know that God saw that Adam was alone, and he declared what? It's not what for man to be alone. It's not good. And I'll make a helper fit for him. And he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs, and he formed the first woman. This woman was named Eve, and she was a beauty. When God introduced Eve to Adam... Right? Uh, some theologians believe that, uh, that that phrase that at last this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, they believe that it was a song. I mean, Adam didn't know what else to do but to sing the song as, as soon as he saw Eve. How many of you guys, after eating some really good food or like having something great, like, you know, you, you experience, you just immediately started to sing or you couldn't just help but dance and hum? You guys, everyone knows what I'm talking about because everyone has done that at some point. But here Adam sees this beautiful woman that God has made for him, and he sings this song. And he told them, be fruitful, multiply. It does not sound like a tyrannical God to me at all. But the story takes a turn in Genesis 3. We read the account of the fall. The day Adam and Eve led all of mankind in rebellion against God. You see, that decision to eat that fruit was ultimately a decision to reject the reign and rule of God over their lives. And this has been the tactic of the enemy since day one. His tactics have not changed, just in case you're wondering. From the beginning, the enemy has been saying, did God really say? He also added, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what was the result? Let's look at Genesis 3, 6 through 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
Look at how the serpent acted in this whole story. He persuaded Eve to believe something. You see, the serpent got Eve to doubt the goodness of God's reign and rule. You see, the serpent offered a different worldview for Eve, one where God is viewed as a tyrant and that his reign and rule should be rejected. And why did Eve eat the fruit? Ultimately, with her husband just standing right there, ultimately Eve took the fruit because she believed a lie about God. You see, sin began with humanity disbelieving God's word. The writer of Hebrews gives us insight into this. Uh, he explains why many of the Israelites were unable to enter the promised land. Take some time to read Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. But in chapter 3, he gives us this explanation of, of why, they, why the Israelites couldn't enter the promised land. Look at Hebrews three nineteen. So we see that they, the Israelites, were unable to enter because of what? Everyone say because of what? Unbelief. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Every time I read that verse, it's just a reminder to me that this is all about belief and unbelief. You see, because sinful acts always have their origin in some form of unbelief. Every one of them. And why? Because behind every sin is a lie. And what the Bible teaches is that the root of all our behaviors and emotions is the heart and what the heart trusts and treasures. You see, the Israelites believed in a lie. They didn't take God at his word. They, they decided to accept a different worldview of God. Again, he's some sort of tyrant or, or he's, he's this God that is holding out on us. He doesn't have our best in, in, our, our, our best in mind. He's not good. He's always holding out or there's always something better. And at the root of this is that all of us do this. All of us, as Paul tells us in Romans 1.25, we've all exchanged the truth about God for a lie. All of us have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And at the root of all of our sinful actions and negative emotions is unbelief. There are times that you and I believe in lives. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever worried or been anxious? Is there anyone that I have many times? Guess what? You've unbelieved at times. You've wrestled with unbelief. And let's think about what it means to believe. To believe means to have absolute assurance, to have the absolute confidence. And you see, in the scriptures, they really don't separate uh, uh, the, the heart and the mind. You see, the heart is the inner seat of man. It's, it's, it's the very place where your mind, emotions, and intellect, ex- intellect exist. There's no, there's no divide that you, you understand something in your heart, but, 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 uh, but you don't understand it in your mind. You either believe something in your heart or you don't, according to the scriptures. The heart thinks, the heart reasons, the heart feels, the heart lusts. The heart is the very center of who you are. It includes the mind, emotions, and wills. It's a totality of all those things. We believe with our hearts, as Romans 10 tells us. And the heart is the deepest part of who we are. And what really matters is what you believe in your heart. One of the best definitions I've heard of of the word sanctification, that process of of God making us holy, is is when the the gap between the head and the heart closes. 
According to Romans 8, everything that happens in our lives is to conform us to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And how does this happen? When our actions line up to what we believe to be true in our hearts. Because Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father in all that He did. And when that happens, it is indeed less of us and more of Him as we die and He lives through us. But brothers and sisters, aren't there times in our lives when our actions don't line up with what we believe to be true in our hearts? Yes. And you know what this means? There are times in our lives that you and I become unbelievers. And I'm not saying that you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm not saying that you don't believe that he's the son of God, that he lived and that he died for the forgiveness of sins. I'm not saying that you don't believe that he resurrected from the grave, defeating sin and death. But our problem is this. There is a gap between our confessional belief and our practice of it at times. For example, let's talk about the sovereignty of God. I'm sure many of you, uh, and I'm sure most Christians prayerfully, uh, believe in the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all things, that he's king and he's, he's Lord over all. And I'm sure that even some of you can even give me a theological defense of why you believe in the sovereignty of God and that he's in control of all things. And you could, you could rip out some Bible verses to support your explanation. But at the ground level, remember when I'd asked you if you've ever worried or if you've ever been anxious or you've ever attempted to control a situation? In your practice of that truth, you've just proved that you are an unbeliever. And there's that gap between what you believe to be true and what you actually practice. So all that to say, this is a matter of belief and unbelief. Because that's where the battle is. So much so that the writer of Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And Jesus echoes this teaching in Matthew 12.34. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Jeremiah gives us a little different illustration, but it's the same concept. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. The prophet Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See, this is another illustration in the Bible that tackles this topic of belief and unbelief. And the image that Jeremiah uses is a barren tree in a desert land versus a tree planted uh, by water where its roots are going deep and are located right next to a stream. And this is not a prosperity gospel verse, as some have quoted. Because as you notice clearly, heat comes to both of these trees. Bad things happen to both of these trees. Both of these trees are, are going through some kind of heat and struggle, some trial and tribulation. But as you notice, one remains healthy with green leaves. One is not anxious in difficult and trying times. One has a tree in which it continues to bear fruit, even regardless of the fact that there is heat coming upon this tree. Brothers and sisters, you and I will either believe or not believe. 
It's one or the other. It's not a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Biblically speaking, you can't believe and not believe at the same time. You either believe or you don't believe. And brothers and sisters, behavior modification won't work. It's not about just, you know, behaving right, doing the Christian thing or, or you, know, you know, the so-called, you know, your better life in 20 days. Because changing behavior alone doesn't deal with the lies that actually drive our behaviors. And this view radically changes how we look at sin. Because brothers and sisters, unbelief is a sin. And I have a friend, a um, friend of mine that has explained sin in a, in a, in a, in a way that's helpful for me to, to grapple my mind around. And he says, you know, sin isn't just, you know, like, I mean, of course, sin is rejecting the reign and rule of, of, of God in our lives. But what sin really is, is what my friend told me, Chris, it's really us taking our finger, pointing to God, and making this finger-pointing accusation against him. For example, when we turn to something other than God for our source of goodness, it's not that we're just sinning by doing this deed. We are going to God and we're saying, God, you're not good enough. I don't believe that the source of goodness is in you. And you know what? I'm going to find it somewhere else. That's, what, that's a picture of what sin is. And when we look at this at teaching on belief and unbelief, it helps us to see sin for what it really is. We're not, we can't take on the victim mentality, nor can we say, man, Adam and Eve really screwed up. Thanks a lot. When we view it this way, it makes all of us in this room culpable of our sins, and we are accountable for it because all of us, we take the finger and we point it at God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that does good, but there is one that does, right? And that's Jesus Christ alone. And we know that sin is a worship issue because it originates in the heart. And you and I need to get our hearts right. We need to get our worship pointed in the right direction. And when you look at this view of, of, of belief and unbelief, this view also radically changes our, our view on repentance. Because now, repentance goes beyond saying, I'm sorry that I did this or that. It goes deeper to something like, God, I'm sorry I did this against you. You alone have I sinned against, as David said. God, I'm sorry I worship the thing you created versus you. God, I'm sorry I gave more credit to these things that you made than you. I'm sorry for just rejecting your gracious rule over my life. Sorry for being so boneheaded at times, God. God, I'm sorry that I trusted something that is fallible instead of trusting in the infallible, awesome, unchanging, eternal God. You see, freedom, brothers and sisters, is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. And God has made us to trust him, to worship him, and to follow him. And this is where genuine freedom is found. And freedom is found in the fact that God is in control and we are not. Freedom is found in the fact that God is gracious and forgives sinners, those that have rejected his reign and rule. And also, none of this is possible apart from seeing Jesus as he is. And what I mean here is that this isn't just about ascertaining some intellectual or biblical information from the Bible. And it's not just a mere like, here's the lie, now here's the truth, and that's it. The truth is centered on a person, and it's Jesus. Hence, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And what this involves is us, as followers of Christ, 
seeing, knowing, embracing, and desiring him for who he is. You see, because the wonderful thing is, is when you see Christ for who he is, what happens? He becomes precious. He becomes awesome. He becomes wonderful. He becomes amazing, and we begin to savor him. And I know that sounds weird, but the scriptures tell us to taste and see that the Lord is good. We are to delight in him. So brothers and sisters, if your love and your affections for Christ aren't growing or aren't being stirred, I'm really going to ask you, what are you believing to be true? Or what unbelief are you struggling with? See, hence, now we come to this practice of preaching the gospel to to ourselves. And this is the practice I want to encourage all of us to jump in. Because guess what? Evangelize means to preach the gospel. And we clearly see if this is all about a heart issue of belief and unbelief, you and I cannot believe at times. And what do we need? We need to preach the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And he was speaking on this topic of spiritual depression. So often we just, you know, we're listening to to all the different voices and to ourselves or to the enemy. And we're not proclaiming the truth of the gospel into our life. We're not telling ourselves of the goodness and graciousness of God. For example, if you find yourself just always working, always feeling like you have to do something and, and you're almost defined by your work, or you're constantly listening to yourself, you're not, you're not proclaiming the truth that God receives you as he is and that he's done, he's done all the work for you for your acceptance before God. And you need to preach that. Paul commands us in 2 Corinthians 10 to 5 that to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And why? You and I are easily deceived. Let's just be honest, all right? You and I are easily deceived. The scriptures in Psalm tells us that we're all made of the dust. In other words, we're all, we're all weak. We're all easily deceived. So often we think with our feelings, and this leads us to think at times, if I don't feel it, then I won't do it, or I won't believe it. Perhaps there have been times in your lives in which you have not felt the joy of Christ. But really in those times, we say with faith that Jesus, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of my feelings, I declare with faith, that you are my joy. It's during those times when we feel tempted to sin or that our emotions are getting the better of us that we need to preach the truth to ourselves. We need to say, God, you are all I need. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to know every complete in and out of our hearts, but what we do need to do and what I want to urge you to do today is we need to cling to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel summed up is the good news that God has come to rescue and renew all of creation through Jesus Christ on our behalf. Listen to, um, listen to how John Newton describes the power of the name of Jesus. He says, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds, In a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms a troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and gives the weary rest. Dear name, the rock on which we build, our shield and hiding place, our never failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. We need to keep preaching Jesus every one of our situations. And what I wanted to give you was this uh, tool. Um, 
that this tool has been helpful for me in my own sanctification. It's a tool that has been useful in my own life of constantly bringing me back to the truths of the gospel. It's called the four G's. And I first read about the four G's in, um, in a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. And it's grounded in, in, in all in scripture. And uh, got connected to a ministry called Soma in which they're really trying to give this uh, as a tool to their body to, uh, to help like, uh, just flesh this out. And it's great because the four G's are centered on the person and work of Jesus. And uh, it's, it's not looking to any kind of tactic. It's, it's always bringing us back to answering the question of who God is and what has he done. And we're only going to be able to go over one, uh, one point today. Uh, and that is the first G, which is God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Some of you have heard of a, a preacher by the name of Louis Giglio. And uh, his sermons are on YouTube if you want to YouTube, and I encourage you to watch them as a family. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Louis Giglio is every time I listen to him preach, my view of God expands, you know? And like immediately, just because of, 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 of how he pre- it's, not, it's not him, he's, he's preaching, he's being used as a, as a conduit. Man, I just, I just begin to be blown away by the greatness and vastness of God. And two sermons I just encourage you to listen to would be uh, indescribable and how great is our God. But just think about, think about this topic of God being great. I think at times our definition of greatness is very shallow or very surface level. Whereas when we look at, when we look at creation and we look at just this, the wonders of, of the universe, I mean, we can't help but be blown away, right? I mean, how many of you have seen <clears throat> something in creation and you were just like, like mind blown? Like, oh my goodness, like God, I can't believe you made this. Let's go to the beginning. Can you imagine if you were there at the beginning when God said, let there be light, and there was light? I mean, I can't imagine that. I mean, now we have the ability to measure how fast light can go, right? And light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per hour. That's pretty fast, right? We see that God spoke and kapow, just things just started popping up. And just some facts, you know, like you look, at, you look at the universe we live in. For example, brothers and sisters, we all live, uh, of course, we live in Anchorage, Alaska. But our solar system is located in the Milky Way galaxy. And you could, you know, just, you know, read some NASA information on the Milky Way galaxy. But it's just amazing. If you were to compare the size of the, of the Milky Way galaxy to, to our solar system, it would be comparing a quarter to the United States of America. And the Milky Way galaxy is, is, is one of, a, of 100 to 200 billion galaxies that exist, and it just shows you the vastness of, of, of space, of the universe. And God spoke that. If you were to travel from one end of the Milky Way to the other, it would take you 100,000 light years. And if you traveled at the speed of light, it's equivalent to traveling 670 million miles per hour. I know some of you have had the opportunity to go over 100 miles per hour, and that feels pretty fast, right? Can you imagine going 607 million miles per hour? I can't. And so much so that when we, when we look at the universe and we look at space, we can't even, we can't even measure it with a ruler or, or, you know, even, I mean, just, we can't take a yardstick. Everything in space is measured in light years. And light years, of course, is the distance light travels in a year. And if you were to translate that into miles, okay, that would be 5.88 trillion miles. 
And we live in one of the many galaxies. I'm, I'm a very big, uh, um, I, I grew up reading comic books. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be honest of confession. I'm a superhero nerd, all right? Um, and it's funny because there's a lot of nerd talk on the Internet, and you guys are well aware of that. Um, but there was this debate over speed because um, there's a recent movie that came out called X-Men. And in X-Men, they introduce this character that's very well-known in the comic book universe. His, his name is Quicksilver. And um, there's another character in, in the comic book universe called Flash. And these guys were arguing, hey, who's faster? You know, <laughs> like total nerd talk, and I love it, you know. So, um, but basically, there's this scene in the movie of X-Men. I don't want re- to ruin this for you, okay? But, he, uh, but Quicksilver, like, does this amazing thing where he, he literally, like, is like traveling around the room, running on the walls, and everything else, everyone else is literally moving in slow motion as though they're still. And he's just like setting up, you know, people, to, and he's, he's trying to get his team out of trouble. And he does so in a very awesome way. But basically, they had this uh, physicist, mathematician, comic nerd, who is a phys- physicist and a mathematician, who's like, all right, let's see how fast he would need to travel. And he, he, he used mathematical equations to kind of translate this in today's, today's talk, right? And he basically said that he, has, he had to have traveled 9,000 miles per hour to do what he did in that film. The fastest jet-powered aircraft travels at Mach 9.6, which is almost 7,000 miles per hour. And just a picture, you know, it's also said that Flash can at times travel at the speed of light. And if he could do so, that means you could go around Earth seven and a half times in one second. I mean, just to, I mean, just to give you just some, I mean, it's just amazing. And even NASA scientists, and there's, this is stuff you can read on, on their website, they're discovering that, that what exists in our universe is this thing called dark matter and dark energy. And scientists don't know much about it, but they know that it, it exists. And according to, according to NASA, it's estimated that roughly 68% of the universe is dark energy. And that dark matter makes up about 20, 27%. And the rest, everything else on earth, everything ever observed with all of our instruments, all normal matter, adds up to less than 5% of the universe. And we just see that space is so vast. And God spoke it all into existence. Amazing. And when I was reading just on this dark matter and energy, I just was reminded of Colossians, Paul's word where he speaks about Jesus, and he tells us that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that's the God we serve. You want some more, like, some more evidence on his ability to control? Let's look at the history of the scriptures, of the story of God, that ever since Genesis, God promised mankind a promised seed. And through every different nation that oppressed Israel, and through all about history, God was always preserving this promised seed. He was preserving a remnant so that there would be the promised seed because God is faithful and true to the covenant he made with his people. And it was through this promised seed that Jesus Christ was born. All of history, as history unfolds, God is in control of every moment of it. That's some serious control. What about the virgin birth, the fact that the God of the universe could come to this young teenage girl, right, and, and, and say, hey, you are, you know, you are going you, you to be pregnant with the Savior of the world, and it's going to be no intervention of man. That's some pretty cool control, don't you think? I can't do that. Can any of you? 
And Hebrews speaks that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Ephesians states that Jesus works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I pray that this will show you God is great. Amen? But the fact of the matter is that you and I don't believe this truth at times. We're coming back to, you know, belief and unbelief. I confess that I don't. How many of us have ever tried to take matters into our own hands without trusting in God? I have. How many times have you gotten angry while in traffic? Guilty as charged. Many times over and over again. How many times, if you're a parent, have you overreacted to your kids because you lost some sense of control? See, what's humbling is this, is that parent, if you're a parent, God has given you limited control all right? He's given you a limited authority over your kids. And isn't it interesting that whenever that control gets threatened, we're like, you know? And at times we do tend to overreact. I know I do. Have there been times when due to the busyness of your own life, you weren't available to help a friend or a neighbor and you began to despair? Or have there been times in your lives where, you, where you've, you've helped and helped and all to no avail? A few months ago, I had preached on Mark chapter 5, and I just wanted to remind you of these simple truths. Um, you can even scan through it. What I wanted to, just to show is this on the greatness of Christ here. And in Mark 4, 35 to 41, we see that Jesus calms the Lord, or Jesus calms the storm, I'm sorry. And Mark is trying to show us that, okay, Jesus is Lord over nature. The very next story, Mark 5, 1 through 20, Jesus heals a man with a demon. And Mark's point is that Jesus is Lord over the, over the demonic. Mark 5, the next story, Jesus heals a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and he heals her. And what is the moral of the story? Jesus is Lord over disease. And the very next moment, okay, while this is going on, Jesus uh, encounters Jairus and his daughter, and she's, she's already dead. And he, and, he, and he literally says, little lamb arise, and she, she, she awakens, right? And what is Mark trying to tell us? Jesus is Lord over death. And what is the point of Mark 4 and 5? Jesus is trying to, uh, Mark is trying to say that Jesus, there is not a sphere in life in which Jesus does not have lordship over or control over. Nada. And hence, when you read Mark 4 and 5, what, is the, what are the choices that you have? What are the choices that Mark wants to leave us with? Two choices, fear or faith. And it's not to say that bad things don't happen to people. That's not the point of Mark 4 and 5. The point is, is that Jesus' lordship extends over all those things, good and bad. And he has lordship over it. And the question is, when those things come to our lives, are we going to have fear or are we going to have faith? Because Christ alone is in control and he's worthy of that. He's worthy of our trust. Coming back to this God being great so we don't have to be in control. What happens when we don't trust in God's sovereign control? A couple things. When we don't trust in his sovereign control, we attempt to take matters in our own hands, maybe through manipulation or domination, or maybe you and I will weary ourselves through busyness and frustration, or perhaps some of us will make our own security and wealth a priority of seeing God's kingdom expand, his reign and rule over our lives and his reign and rule over the lives of others. You see, believing that God is great isn't a mere theological debate. It's a very practical decision that you need to make every single day. Because ultimately, it boils down to two choices. Either you can live in some kind of fantasy world in which you feel you're sovereign and you have control, or you can live under the reality that God is sovereign and in control and you don't have to be. 
two options. We can have the praise team come up. For example, just to give you uh, an example of that, coming back to that Hebrews 3 text, when we come back to the Israelites that I mentioned, they they were unable to enter rest because of unbelief. You see, we clearly know that God offers us his, his rest through his son Jesus by trusting in what Christ alone has done for us on our behalf, trusting that he did what we could not do. And there are many of us in America that are unable to rest. I mean, whether that's literally, maybe for some, it's just you constantly are feeling like you have to work and be productive. And if that's you, I just... I just urge you and encourage you, examine your heart and to see what are you not believing to be true. Because more often than not, what drives that drive for productivity and work is often not the glory of God. I mean, Paul tells us to do all things for the glory of God. But oftentimes what happens is we create this idol and we create this thing in which, you know what, this is where you find value. And constantly, we constantly strive and we constantly work, 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 or busy, 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 because we're like, this is our identity. And God is saying, no. Everything I've done, I've worked for you in Christ. What you could not do, I did through Christ. And what, I'm, what God is asking of us is that rest in that. And I pray that um, this one truth, and we'll go over the three, the other three next week, is I pray that it would be liberating to you. I had an opportunity to talk with a couple people after the first service and people that are wrestling with many different tough things but yet are able to say, Chris, I believe that God is great. I believe that the situation I'm going through right now, Chris, I believe in his goodness. I believe that he's great. I believe that he's in control and I believe that whatever is going to happen to me here, I know it's going to work out for my good because he's conforming me to the image of his son and Chris, I believe it. And I pray that, that, would, that your faith would be stirred that way too. And that if it isn't, this is a time for you to repent. Jesus came and he said, repent and believe the gospel. If there are ways that you have not been trusting in the greatness of God, come before him and tell him, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have not been trusting that you are in control. I'm sorry that I take matters into my own hands. I don't want to do that anymore, God. I want to trust that you have all things in control. And I just want to trust you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good to us. God, we know that the scriptures multiple times explain you as abounding in love, merciful, steadfast, slow to anger, and patient. God, thank you for putting up with all of our unbelief. God, I I confess I don't believe at times. I don't believe in your greatness at times because, and that's evidenced by the fact that I try to take control of situations and I know that there are some in here that wrestle with that too. And God, um, to trust that you're great is to trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And no longer do I need to, do I need to uh, 
feel the need to be in control because that's just a lie. In fact, there's very little that we have control over anything in life. But we serve a God who is mighty to save, who is awesome, wonderful, who's, whose just thoughts are above our thoughts and whose ways are above our ways and who just is indescribable. And God, we want to trust in your greatness. We don't want to point our finger at you and say you're not great or you're not in control. We want to cling to you. And we want to proclaim that you are great. And because you are great, we're going to believe that we don't need to be in control because guess what? You're perfectly in control. So whatever life situation it is that we're going through, I pray we would cling to you, God. I pray that we would cling to your characteristic of your greatness, God. Because I know in everything in life, you're always trying to show us who you are and what you're doing, what you have done, and what you are going to do. So God, we cling to you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy every day. Thank you that you are fighting for us every moment of the day. Thank you that you are for us and not against us. And God, to you be the glory forever and ever. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.